this week on the Backtable Podcast. One of the things that we've learned from the DCB trials, particularly for below the knee, as you know, they were pretty disappointing, the Impact Deep study and the BioLux study. And one of the explanations, I think, primary explanations, in fact, is that we were likely undersizing our balloons significantly. The other nice thing about a serration technology is that you're not needing to go to high pressure, so your likelihood of causing of a type C or greater flow limiting dissection is much, much less. So that does allow you to be a bit more aggressive. And so much like an IVL balloon, we're looking more at like a 1.1 to 1.2 to one ratio. And if I've IVist ahead of time, then I know exactly what size the vessel is and I can pick an appropriately sized balloon. But I think we've been perhaps a bit too timid in our balloon sizing below the knee. And if we're using specialty balloons, that does allow us to be a bit more aggressive. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Backtable Podcast, your source for all things interventional and endovascular. You can find all previous episodes of our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and on backtable.com. First, a brief message from our sponsor. The Cajun Vascular Serenator is the first and only serration angioplasty balloon, which offers predictable and controlled lumen expansion using lower pressures than legacy technologies. Standard balloon angioplasty has been essentially unchanged for over four decades and often fails to deliver a satisfactory technical result. Serenator applies a force over 1,000 times greater than POBA, which results in exceptional lumen gain with low complication and reintervention rates. Additionally, in a recent sub-analysis, Serenator demonstrated over two times more blood flow versus a standard balloon, regardless of lesion morphology. Cajun Vascar's mission is restoring blood flow, restoring life. Choose Serenator, the only serration angioplasty balloon for your PAD and CLI patients. Learn how your physician peers are elevating patient outcomes every day by using serration angioplasty at cajunvascular.com. Now, back to the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Backtable Podcast. Today, we have a very special episode. We're going to be talking uh, about novel balloon technologies and appropriate uses below the knee. Dr. Peter Sukas was recently on the show with Chris Beck as the host. They discussed his algorithm for treating below the knee PAD and CLI. It was a very comprehensive discussion, very much A to Z, talking about the they covered the challenges of treating CLI, the quality of life impact, uh, as well as kind of a discussion of newer technologies that are being used, including IVL and some of the new new balloon technologies. The serenator balloon was also mentioned during the discussion. And much like we've done before with uh, newer technologies, we want to take a kind of a deeper dive into this and put out some educational content around it. So welcome, Peter, back to the show. Thanks very much, uh, Aaron. It's a pleasure to be back with you. Yeah. And so, Peter, just for our audience who have, they may not have uh, listened to the other episode yet, can you just tell us briefly you know, where you're at and what your practice currently looks like? Sure. I'm currently in Providence, Rhode Island at the Miriam, Rhode Island Hospitals. Uh, we're the teaching hospitals for Brown Medical School. And uh, I've been there now for 13 years. I'm the director of the vascular and interventional peripheral vascular lab. I'm also the founder and director of the vascular medicine and endovascular medicine fellowship program and uh, helping to train the next generation of interventionalists. How big is y'all's program up there? Our cardiology fellowship program, we have six per year. We have two EP fellows per year, a structural fellow and a dedicated peripheral vascular fellow. So we have lots of fellows uh, in our program and we are very proud of them. They've all gone out 
and done uh, amazing things uh, in the in the private arena as well as in academic medicine. And so one of the great things about our place is that we're able to do a lot of cutting edge research and involved in a number of different clinical trials. I think, for example, right now we actually have 12 clinical trials that we're working on, about four of them, in fact, on this topic that we're going to be discussing today, which is really the treatment of critical ischemia, particularly with novel below-the-knee devices. Yeah, so let's jump into that, Peter. So, you know, and, and today we're going to talk a little bit more about specialty balloons because, you know, I think everybody in the audience knows that there's, you know, typical scoring or cutting balloons have been around for a while now. And uh, you mentioned in the prior episode the, the serenation angioplasty serenator. How is, can you tell, talk to us about how the specialty balloon space has evolved over time? What is the difference between these new, this new balloon and, and the, the prior ones that we think of? Well, traditionally, I think probably the first uh, dedicated cutting balloon on the market was the Boston Scientific um, cutting balloon, which was uh, unfortunately fairly limited in terms of lengths that were available. And, and today, in fact, uh, they're about two centimeters for the peripheral devices, and then the coronary devices are even shorter length balloons. And these were basically three surgical balloons that were just sort of glued onto the outer surface of the balloon. And when we're talking about below the knee disease, these are typically long, diffuse lesions. And so it was really not very practical to treat either above the knee or below the knee with these particular devices. And then in more recent years, we had the uh, angioscope balloon, which did have the advantage of coming in 40 and 100 centimeter lengths, but the results were somewhat variable in terms of the acute luminal gain and the degree of recoil that we typically would see. And the sort of newest kid on the block, of course, is the serenator balloon, which is really, I think, a fairly unique mechanism of action. It uses these serrations which are able to basically have about a thousand times more focal force than a typical angioplasty balloon. So why is that an advantage? Well, I think it's able to give us a very predictable and safe expansion of the lumen along these so-called fault lines. And our rates of dissection and recoil are much lower than with the traditional scoring balloons that we've used in the past. Okay, perfect. And, and so you mentioned that for longer lesions, the, the prior balloons were kind of disappointing. What is it, what, what specific types of lesions are you seeing serration angioplasty most successful with? Well, I think that the advantages of having 40 and 120 millimeter lengths allows us to expand the types of vessels that perhaps maybe we may might have shied away from cutting balloon technology or focus force angioplasty in the past. And the nice thing about it is that it really does seem to be quite effective in the more calcified lesions. And I think that's really where some of the older generation devices kind of fell short was that they really didn't do a, a very good job or a very effective job on these more calcified lesions. So in our practice, a lot of these patients, particularly our diabetic patients and our patients with chronic kidney disease, we know that the further down you go in the tibial artery, the more likely you're going to encounter more diffuse calcified lesions. And I think that's really been sort of the sweet spot for this technology is not only can it take care of fibrocalcific, but even the more calcified lesions, the more concentrically calcified lesions, it really does seem to do a very nice job addressing those. And as we discussed in the last podcast, I mean, we're, we're very big fans of IVL, 
However, this technology is obviously less expensive. And for most patients, we can typically get a very nice acute luminal gain with minimal recoil with serration technology. On another talk I heard you give, you talked a little bit about quadrants of calcification and uh, you just mentioned, you know, it works well with concentric calcification. What about eccentric, you know, calcification and talk to, I guess, talk to us a little bit about those quadrants of calcification, what you see with serration. Sure. And one of the nice things uh, about intravascular ultrasound, it really is so helpful to basically identify the, the depth and the extent of calcification. You know, we, we, we all talk about the now, I think, famous Finelli paper with micro CT, which demonstrated unequivocally that the more quadrants of calcium you had, the lower the likelihood that you'd get a, a sustained improvement in terms of primary patency with drug-coated balloon technologies. And we've certainly seen that in our clinical practice as well. So one of the other things that you just mentioned was eccentric versus concentric. And I think we have to acknowledge that one of the potential limitations of IVL uh, is that it requires more pulses for sort of more eccentric lesions. But uh, the nice thing about the serenator is that we've seen when we have done ultrasound post uh, PTA that we can actually see those serrations on ultrasound. They're also apparent on OCT as well. So unless it's 360 degrees of dense calcification, in which case IVL might be the preferred option, but for more eccentric and less heavily calcified or less frequent quadrants of calcium, this seems to be a very nice alternative. Yeah, and you mentioned uh, you know, one of the issues with prior technologies was recoil especially in BTK lesions, and also you, you know, the desire not to stent in the setting of CLI. How, do, how does serration angioplasty help solve for those particular problems? I know you mentioned, you mentioned less dissections for sure. Yes, for sure. And you know, in both the uh, prelude above and below the knee studies, we, sh we saw really excellent final luminal residual stenoses of less than 23%. And at typically fairly low inflation pressures of only like six to eight atmospheres. Uh, the dissection rate was really very, very low to the extent that the need for a bailout stent, for example, was less than 2% in the below knee study and only about 4% in the above knee study, which I think is pretty remarkable for a balloon technology. And it's that predictable response that I think makes it such an attractive tool in our armamentarium, especially for below the knee, where we really, really try to avoid placing stents. I mean, we know that you can uh, successfully implant coronary drug-coated stents, uh, but that's really limited to the proximal third of the tibial artery. So what do you do when you're down near the ankle? You can't put a balloon expandable stent there because it'll get crushed. So the ability yeah. to avoid the need for a scaffold, particularly in the distal two-thirds of the tibial artery, I think is a real um, potential advantage for serration technology as opposed to just plain old balloon angioplasty. Yeah, you, you brought up a good point. I, I heard a talk by Edward Gifford at the recent Charing Cross talking about, I, I, there was maybe a study released recently about using it below the ankle. Is that right? Yeah, th that's true. And one of the nice things about the technology is that because it's not rigid, uh, stainless steel blades, it has the flexibility that you can take it around the corner into the common plantar and, and, and in fact, into the, the, the dorsalis pedis or the medial or lateral plantar vessel. So 
uh, that's, again, I think an advantage compared to the older focus force angioplasty technologies. Well, that, that brings up my next question was, you know, specialty technology tends to have a reputation for being challenging to deliver or, you know, bulky. You just kind of demonstrated with that, that it, it seems not to be, but anything else you can comment on there? How is it typically delivered? How well does the balloon track in, you know, heavily calcified vessels? Overall, I think it tracks quite well. Once in a great while, if we encounter a difficulty in terms of delivering the device, and that typically is more likely to occur when we're trying to deliver the longer 120 millimeter length balloon versus the 40 millimeter balloon. Uh, so serration balloons like IVL balloons, occasionally you may need to pre-dilate with a smaller caliber balloon just to make a little bit of room in there so that you can then deliver what will hopefully be the definitive treatment to that vessel segment. How do you decide the size of the balloon? Is it different from your standard balloon? Not really. We're very big fans of IVIS. And so we like to IVIS things uh, ideally at baseline and then after each iterative technology that we're, we're using. And then of course, a final ultrasound at the end. And in general, if you can pass the ultrasound catheter, you should be able to deliver the balloon. And so one of the things that we've learned from the DCB trials, particularly for below the knee, as you know, they were pretty disappointing, the Impact Deep study and the BioLux study. And one of the explanations, I think, primary explanations, in fact, is that we were likely undersizing our balloons significantly. The other nice thing about a serration technology is that you're not needing to go to high pressure. So your likelihood of causing of a type C or greater flow limiting dissection is much, much less. So that does allow you to be a bit more aggressive. And so much like an IVL balloon, we're looking more at like a 1.1 to 1.2 to 1 ratio. And if I've IVIS ahead of time, then I know exactly what size uh, the vessel is, and I can pick an appropriately sized balloon. But I think we've been perhaps a bit too timid in our balloon sizing below the knee. And if we're using specialty balloons like IVL balloons or, or, or serration technology, that does allow us to be a bit more aggressive. And I think that greater luminal gain will hopefully translate into a better clinical response for the patient, particularly for the CLTI patients where keeping that vessel open for at least three months is really something that we need in order to be able to achieve wound healing. Yeah, that was I mean, that was you kind of answered my next question. But what you know, what's your primary technical goal with this serration angioplasty? Ideally, at least three months. Of course, we'd like to have better patency rates than that for all of our technologies. But if we look at at, for example, the Prelude BTK study that that we referenced a, a few minutes ago. I mean, those uh, that paper was, stud, uh, was published in JEVT back in November of 2021, and they had a nearly 98% freedom from TLR at six months, which is really quite remarkable. And that particular study included patients with Rutherford 5 disease. So that was a, a pretty remarkable result. And we're certainly seeing similar results in our day-to-day -day clinical practice as well. Yeah, is it? It's that that red gold that you're looking for with your your podiatry and wound care colleagues, right? Are are, are you getting any comments back from them? Yeah, they they're very very happy that that we will go to great lengths. I mean, if it takes two, three, four, five, six hours, we'll do whatever it takes to try to get as much red gold down to the foot as we can, because we all know that when a patient loses a limb, 
their life is in jeopardy. Uh, patients with CLTI have a 50% five-year mortality. Uh, and that mortality will be hastened if they lose a limb. Not to mention all the devastating psychological and economic fallout from a patient being a functioning member of society to then perhaps even being required to be in a, living in a nursing home. So anything that we can do to avert that disastrous conclusion is a very good thing. Peter, any other studies that you recommend the audience look at that can help them learn more about this newer technology and you know anything else that we left out? You, you've mentioned a couple, but uh, any, anything else that would be interesting to the audience around this technology? Yeah. With with regard specifically to the to the Serenator device, the Prelude First in Human was published by uh, Andrew Holdman in JEVT, and then the formal BETK study, as I mentioned, was published in November 2021 in JEVT. There is also a um, Prelude BTK subanalysis, which Marianne Broadman was the primary author on, and th that particular substudy looked at standard balloon angioplasty versus serration balloon angioplasty. And we're very much looking forward to those results as well. Peter, one thing I forgot to ask earlier, we talked about the decrease in you know dissection and, and recoil and, and spasm even. What about embolization, which you know is obviously a concern with atherectomy devices? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Uh, one of the things that, that can really sink your procedure is distal embolization, particularly, for example, if a patient has single vessel runoff and you send debris downstream, you've now taken that CLTI patient and converted them to an ALI patient. So distal embolization and perforations below the knee are absolutely catastrophic. So anything you can do to minimize that risk, I think, is, is, is really important. And I think that's another reason why we've sort of shied away from atherectomy devices below the knee is that the consequences of distal embolization are so dire. That's, uh, I think, one of the advantages of, of this particular technology is that we just really don't see it. And honestly, I can't think of a single case that I've ever had where we had distal embolization. So these alternative technologies, I think, really, not only are they better in terms of acute luminal gain, but the safety profile is, I think, much more favorable as compared to atherectomy. Great. So anybody in our audience who's looking to maybe try this, what's a good first case to start with? Well, I think for patients who have more sort of fibrotic lesions that are not densely, densely calcified, I think that's probably a very good place to start with uh, serration technology. The balloon, as I mentioned, does really track quite well. And so if you have areas where you really don't want to uh, have to bail out with a stent, for example, at the POP TP trunk bifurcation or at the POP to AT bifurcation, we know that atherectomy in that location is particularly uh, problematic uh, in terms of the risk of a dissection or a perforation. So areas where you don't have horrific amounts of calcium, but you have uh, fibro fatty plaque or fibrotic lesions or lesions that are even moderately calcified, I think folks will be pleasantly surprised at how well uh, the device tracks and, and the acute luminal gain that you'll, that you'll gain. Great. Any, any other do's and don'ts before we finish up? Again, realizing that you may need to pre-dilate. The devices do go through a five French sheath 
And it, it's just really important to make sure you prep the balloons very well and give them time to deflate before you, you take them out because you know it can be a little bit snug in a five French sheath. But uh, if you do a really good job in terms of giving it time to rewrap, then it's usually not an issue. Perfect. Peter, thank you so much for your time. And uh, hopefully we'll see you at a conference one day. In All person. right. That sounds great. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for the time. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe, rate the podcast five stars, and share with a friend. If you have any questions or comments, direct message us at at underscore Backtable on Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn. Backtable is produced and hosted by myself, Aaron Fritz, and co-hosts Chris Beck, Sabine Don, Michael Barraza, Jacob Fleming, and Ali Behetti. Our audio team is led by Kieran Gannon with support from Josh McWhorter, Aaron Bowles, Nick Shellcross, and Ness Smith-Savadoff. Design and digital marketing led by Brian Schmitz. Article and transcript support by Taylor Robinson. And Delaney Aguilar. Social media and PR by Ann Dang. Administrative support provided by Jim Louis Kinnebrew. Intro and extra music is Ripperoo by Skeptic Moon. Find us on Spotify or at local live music venues in New Orleans, Louisiana. Thanks again for listening. 